Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network, powered by Clue, the podcast for product marketers and competitive professionals looking to give their companies a competitive advantage. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today is the second installment of the interviews we did on the road in Scottsdale. Ben, you didn't have the pleasure of joining us for this one, but we had Dan Hamilton, the VP of Competitive Intelligence at Salesforce. You've tuned in. Ben, why should others listen to? Because Dan puts into context something that I had never really been able to encapsulate before. It has to do with, in this case, CRM data. CRM data that's messy, but really it's applicable to any project that is so big and daunting that you almost don't want to do it. His advice is you have to show people how bad it is. And I thought that that was brilliant because you can't just assume that everyone knows just to what extent the impact is. And a project of this size needs senior leadership buy-in. So I re that really landed with me, the idea of like, you sometimes you need to show your managers, your senior leaders, how bad it is. And from there, then you take action. But to just go and step back and say, yeah, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, and nothing ever gets done, that's not helping anyone. Dan is candid when he talks too. There's no, there's no sugar coating things. Um, and that's, you'll, you'll hear that throughout the conversation. I mean, he's very frank with how people in Compete should face potential impending layoffs, where they're at risk, what they need to do to prevent that. Um, a lot around proven impact to leadership, getting leadership buy-in. And of course, another drumbeat from Dan that if anyone has listened to him at our Compete Network events or previous podcast episodes is the need for hands-on deal support and tactical Compete. Um, he shares some really good examples of a great one deal story and also what it actually looks like to sit down with a seller and walk through how to navigate a competitive deal. So again, Dan tells some great stories and really applicable advice. So with that all said, let's get into today's conversation. Dan, what's going on? What's going on, man? We're here. We're here. What's your impressions on the villa? I, I've hyped up the villa a lot to you. It's awesome. It's super cool, man. I mean, I feel like I'm in a movie set. Yeah, skylight. We got a rooftop thing. Like this is. I should have. I should have booked one of these, man. This is sweet. I know. Well done. I know. Compared to the NBC suite, <laughs> yeah. better or worse, maybe. No comment. <laughs> All right. Um. The last year's been hectic. Yeah, man. It's just weird time. A lot has changed in the marketplace. A lot of business priorities have shifted. How have your compete teams shifted from a year ago when we were talking? I remember we were talking at the restaurant and everything was closing up. Yeah. My first time meeting you, hitting it off. How have your priorities changed from them to today? Yeah, I think um, it's funny when I think about what we talked about a year ago. I think it's really just more of what we did talk about a year ago, but doing that and nothing else. So like for us, it's been impact, impact, impact. Right. Like there's so many things you can do and see I could do this program with this thing and that thing. But if you can't connect it to actual impact on the business, like why are you even doing it? So that's really been our philosophy. We are getting so like granular on these are exactly the things we're going we're gonna to deliver this year. This is exactly the impact that it's going to drive. So I think that's probably the biggest one. And then the other one is just more stuff with scale. Like we're trying to do a lot of stuff with automation taking a lot of the reactive stuff that you'll do in CI and thinking, okay, if we know, we know this information about what's going on in the deal cycle, can we, instead of wait, you know, instead of waiting for you to come and 
find the information that you need, can we maybe like be more proactive and push it out to you in a really smart way? So we're trying to, it's really, again, man, it's, it's impact and scale because you got to do uh, more with less. And you've kind of closed out the noise of the other things that were like maybe catching your eye in a little bit. It's like refocusing as a team and as a business on these things that matter most. It's, it's all about focus. It's all about impact. And, you know, one thing that we'll do is we'll put down a list of all the things that would be nice for us to do, right? Like we've got a long list of like, I mean, it could be a hundred things, right? Cause they're all important for the business, but we draw a very clear line. We say, okay, with our current resourcing, like this is our line. Everything else is still important, but these are the things that we can prioritize because they're going to, you know, deliver the most impact. And then we can have an aligned discussion with somebody on that. Like, so, so then we're not getting that feedback of, oh man, why aren't you guys doing this stuff? Well, we, we know that it's important. We're actually doing these things because we want to move the needle. So you're doing a keynote tomorrow, the closing yeah. keynote with Claire and Katie, stoked for it. Closing the competitive revenue gap. We've talked to a bunch of people on the podcast, been talking to customers for a while now, and I think it's become more sharply in focus, the importance of quantifying and closing that competitive revenue gap. Uh, would love to start talking a little bit about this with you, but specifically, I want you to recount a time where you, it could be a Salesforce, could be a previous role, you or your compete team helped tip that winnable deal, that neck and neck deal. I, I have I have hundreds and hundreds of examples. I mean, um, you know, one of the key parts of our process, we get directly involved in deals. Like it's a huge part of our time. We actually, it does deliver a lot of impact. That's why we do it. Uh, and there's just countless, like, I mean, there's everything from the shout out to like the, you know, getting invited as part of the team, uh, to the champagne toast for like when we were all together, at some event for winning the deal. Like it's, there's so many, so many, so many examples. I mean, there was just that one, I mean, uh, she's a week or two ago. We had a very significant transaction that like our team had been working on with the account team for years, literally years. And, um, I mean, I, but I think like, it's interesting, like the fact that we have so many examples, I think is a testament to how we've really tried to focus on impact. Cause again, like if you're, oh, I can't remember if I, I think we talked about this last year, but like, you, you can't just like talk to sales, right? You have to kind of like really work with them and partner with them. And so, um, yeah, that's why it's, it's easy to answer your question, man. Do you have a, when you're starting off in, in the compete space, do you have that first one where you're like, yeah, man, I, I helped tip that one. Huge. This is a huge, huge deal. And it was a hard one. It was a really hard one. And I remember we were at Dreamforce, which is our, uh, big customer event every year. And, uh, one of the hotel bars, they kind of assembled some of the people and they got really nice bottles of champagne. I just remember the AE, she was incredible. And she looked around the room and she looked at us, she pointed at all of us and we're like, thank you. Like, you know, this is literally putting my kid through medical school. And I was like, dude, that is like, wow, that's incredible. But like, I don't know, that, that was a really, that was like one of my first moments where I was like, wow, like this is like real that we're actually doing. Like we can really help people. I love that. I love that. And you shared uh, something about yourself yesterday that you previously used to work in sales and now you're this kind of support partner with sales. What's, what's the shift like from being seller to now being that kind of that, that the wingman, different kind of sales. It's not, not the kind of sales that we do at Salesforce, but yeah. Um, I, uh, no, man, I like it. I like it a lot because, um, we get to balance like when you're in sales, sometimes you got blinders on, right? It's like, I've got this deal or these sets of deals, these customers, anything else doesn't matter. Right? Like, whereas like 
I mean, I love helping them, but also we get to see the forest through the trees, right? We can kind of see, oh, this rep is doing this thing and it's really working. Let's let's you know, bring that into this other deal that we're supporting. Right? I think like we're able to actually help a lot more. Um, and I don't know, man. I just I love. Um, yeah, I don't know. Let's see. I'm screwing up this answer, but like, I don't know. I just I, I love I love I love helping people. That's really what we're trying to do is help people win deals, make impact, and. Um, I think we kind of have this like elevated kind of perception as a result, you know, because we are part of that team, you know, we're part of that extended team. No, I, some, it's interesting. We, we were talking to Elise yesterday and I, I want your take it as I, I know what your take is, but I just, I love to hear it anyways. It's the kind of the old perception of compete that has to be strategic, high level talking about M and like only these big picture ticket item. And Elise was sitting in a seat you're looking at and she's done a lot and could be and she just said if you're not working on these tactical deals if you're not supporting these then you're not even going to have a five-year strategy how do you know that your five-year strategy is even going to exist then what's your take on sort of that perception and how you see it shifting yeah well i'll start with the standard answer which it has to be both but like i think especially right now like if you think about what's unique in this moment like for the market, for our company, you know, for a lot of companies, it's like, what's happening now? Like, what's happening this quarter? What's happening next quarter? What's happening this year? Like, we don't have time. You can sit back and do all these academic things when things are great, right? Because you've got time to do it, right? Okay, yeah, let's think about what's going to happen in five years, 10 years. But now is like, we have to we have to win deals now. We have to pivot now. And so generally, I mean, I again, I think both are important. I think you have to do both depending on the kind of, competitive issues that you're running into or how mature your company is like, you know, something I, I always see it as like, um, okay. So, so there's a lot of things. If you think about the way that competition works, right. There's certain scenarios where you just have to get your team on message more, right. It's like, you've got all the pieces are all right there in front of you to win any deal. And it's really just about, you know, I need to make sure that my sales rep says the right, you know, list of words to the right customer at the right time. Right. It's really like an enablement thing. It's a positioning thing. It's a messaging thing. Right. But then there's other scenarios where you can try and enable your way out of a hole, but it's never going to happen because you're not fixing the actual root issue that is preventing you from being successful. So that's why I like both. Right. Cause sometimes, sometimes it is just a messaging thing. It's like messaging deal tactics, like whatever. Sometimes you have to change the game in order to like actually become more competitive as a company. So both important in terms of that, like, you the sense of urgency that it comes today that's coming from leadership too right at this point like that's laddering down is especially when we and i guess we'll segue into sort of like proving your impact to leadership it's always been something that people in compete have talked about struggled with tried to tackle but i think it's just amplified even more in this given moment right 100 percent, man i mean we've been you know the thing is you know in our industry there's obviously a lot of uh interesting going on with the labor market, right? People getting laid off. It's, I mean, our company's not immune. Every company in tech is basically going through this. And if you think about how these layoffs are done, right, there's two kind of sacred cows in the tech company, your sales teams and your engineers. Everything else is kind of disposable in a way, except for the content team, yeah. Um, but like, so if you think about that, I mean, CI, if you're not good at quantifying your value if you haven't been working on it for a long time, you're kind of in a bad spot. You need to figure it out really quickly. Because CI, 
And I think a lot of organizations is like kind of that function that not a lot of people really understand. And when it comes time to trim some fat, it's like, well, we don't need them. Right. So I think it's more important than ever. Um, we've been pretty fortunate. Like we've been doing this for a long time. Um, we, we use our CRM like relatively effectively for this kind of stuff. Right. So like I've talked about this before, but like the way that we do our deal support process, it's all structured in our CRM. So you essentially create a case almost on an opportunity, right? But the, the great thing with that is we can report on all that impact. So I, I have like this set of deals that we helped, right? And I can tell uh, what the win rate was for those deals, how compared to the company average, what the total amount of ACV, you know, influence that was. Like there's a million things I can do with that data. And that's a huge foundation of how we do it. And then what we're kind of focused on is how do we broaden that too? So like, what are other things that we can bring in here? Are there certain decisions that we've helped influence? Is there, what's our kind of reputation in the company? What's our brand? Like those are kind of intangible value things that are still very important. Cause frankly, um, your brand is one thing that can get you through those processes, like in terms of layoffs. You know, what's I love about your answer. So many people give different answers. I think to your point, there's like a bunch of different things you can touch on. But what you mentioned from the revenue impact standpoint, and like these are the deals we're involved in, you said foundational. And I love that that's like the founded base you build. And because I think your perception, your CI brand, have you got your leadership involved? Are they, do they care about compete? Are they thinking about compete? That's super, super important, but you can't just bank on it. And I love the way you frame it as like, this is the foundation. Then you can build off of this. You show the value through this. You show the short-term, medium-term, long-term value from there. And then you can kind of show like you've got confidence or like seller sentiment and your leadership by it. Yeah. If you're a B2B company, like there's certain things you just have to know. Like you have to know how much ACV revenue you've lost in the last couple of quarters, right? <laughs> you like, you kind of have to know that. And if you can find out who that was lost to even better, but like sometimes, you know, I just, yeah, I meet people and they're like, I have no idea how to find that. You know, my CRM is too messy or whatever. I can't figure it out. But like, you have to tackle that. Like, the, you got to solve that. What would you, without getting too like tactical here, because to your point you mentioned, and you're going to have, again, this keynote on closing your competitive revenue gap. How someone that comes to you and goes, I got messy data. I don't know where to start. Like, what, what how would you course correct someone coming to you? At the conference saying, Dad, I don't know where to start. Where how would you course correct them to put them on the path of like Yeah, for sure. Um Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of ways to to handle that, honestly. Um I think to start and there was a good session on this earlier actually at Skip where this was brought up quite a bit, is like you have to kind of show show people what like how bad things actually are. Sometimes people just don't even know, right? So like at least I know your, your data might not be great, but have a report that's built on that data so that you can have a conversation with leadership about, Hey, like this is what our CRM says. This is not right. This is important. We need to fix it. Right. But the second part of that is driving the urgency. Like that's another thing. You can't just look at the CRM data and be like, man, it would be great to fix it. Like you have to make it someone's priority. And I think honestly, that's where the competitive revenue gap stuff comes in. Right. I mean, like, to be honest, um, a couple points in your win rate can make or break your quarter, right? So like, and your your leadership team is going to understand that. So if you go to them, you're like, listen, this, this is the messy data we have. Because it's messy, we could potentially be missing out on these opportunities. We need to have visibility into what's going on here. Can you help us make this change? Like, that's part two, right? And then on, you know, how to make it 
you know, carrots and sticks, right? It's two different sides of the coin. And, but then it gets kind of into the weeds on best practices. We'll be right back after a word from the Compete Network. If you're feeling like the new kid in school when it comes to product marketing, you're not alone. Hi, I'm Maggie Bean, the host of New to Product Marketing, a show for new and aspiring product marketers learning what it takes to launch a successful product marketing career. From deep dives on the fundamentals with experts to learning from other newbies how they made the switch, we're pulling back the curtain with candid, real-life advice to guide you in your PMM journeys. So join me, Maggie Bean, for Season 3 of the New to Product Marketing Podcast, powered by the Compete Network. All right, back to the show. I want to shift a little bit here. What's the biggest mistake, the biggest screw up Dan has made in his compete career? And what was the lesson you learned? So many. Um, okay, I had a, yeah, I had an interesting one one time. Um, we had a, a very, very uh, important presentation that we did one time that, um, it was, it was about a company that was on our radar in a big way that wasn't directly kind of doing what parts of our business did, but we could see where things were going, right? We knew that like at some point, this is going to come together. We got to get ahead of this. And so we put together this awesome, you know, but we thought it was awesome presentation, whatever. And we go to deliver to some senior people and uh, the meeting didn't last very long. We'll put it that way, right? It was one of those like, look, bring up their website, right? Okay, what is it that they say they do? That is not what we do. I don't, you know, I don't need to, whatever. Thanks. And I was like, like, all right, well, it was fun. It was fun while it was lasted. I'm done. Um, the thing that I really learned about that though is how how to really think about constructing some of these arguments, right? You can't just walk in with data like from your CRM or some random perspective that you get from a third party or whatever. Like you have to really think about where's your audience really at today? What are the things that they're going to do? Like, how do I, how do I bust their perception? What do you, what are the assumptions that this presentation is kind of, uh, basing itself on, right? Like the assumption was that our leadership team thought that this company might be a competitor or would understand already that there's some overlap. That was not the assumption and it tanked the whole thing. So. That was definitely, um, that was a, that was a interesting one. Um, yeah. And that was, that was a little while ago. Cause we always hear know your audience. And I think it's a great point, but I like that you go even like a little bit deeper there. It's like, not just knowing your audience, but like where their head at, head is at today. What are they thinking about today? What, what is their perception of the situation? Cause in your mind, you're the man knee deep and compete. You're like, this train's coming. Well, and what are the things that are going to, what are the things that are going to kind of like convince them, right? Like how does, what, what's the, where do they go to, to try and understand this information? What's their existing kind of belief about this kind of information? Like you really, it's not just like, oh, this is the persona. It's like, you really got to reverse engineer the crap out of it to make it land. Um, you know, the good thing was, is, uh, over the long term we were right. <laughs> you know, for, for. Did you say you told them? So? No, 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 no. You did? Never did, never will. <laughs> but it's here. I know. I know. The it's in here. And now it's live on the air. Too. Yeah, <laughs> um, another piece on that point of like, I don't want to say the word persuasion, but like support and showing how to do something better, how to approach something. 
Um, I want to go about a bit more tactical because I clue we just uh, ran a research report with revenue leaders, like uh, senior sales leaders, and the day is coming out soon. But some of the interesting finds I've been looking through is one thing was leaders are 72% are super, super confident that their reps know their big differentiator. They know their competitors' big differentiator. But only 31% were confident that that seller could then demonstrate, communicate that differentiated value. So from your perspective, as someone in Compete, how do you help bridge that gap from knowing these things to actually being able to execute? Um, yeah, this is a good one. This is a good topic. Um, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised to hear those results. Um, I think what happens though is that there's so much nuance in deals, right? There's like, like, you know, I could write a battle card that's like, you know, here's the five ways to beat this company. Here's the five differentiators. Here's the, you know, things to look out for or whatever. When you get into an actual deal cycle, the things that matter to different buyers are very different. They weight things differently. There's always a business problem they're trying to solve. There's like context that you have to try and take your five differentiators and make them relevant. You know, like, I mean, a lot of times, how often do you have a list of differentiators and maybe one or two actually matter in the deal versus all of them? The other ones are just totally irrelevant, right? So for us, this is where the deal support stuff comes in, right? So what we, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive in a way, but what we've kind of understood is you need that baseline of like, okay, here's the, the core content. You need a battle card, like you need that. But We've actually found that to scale that kind of knowledge on how to apply it, it's actually better to do it through a deal support process because the, what we find is that the first place that reps go for advice is their own team or their leader, right? So if we can get enough reps in this journey with us of like, let's look at an individual deal, let's sit down for half an hour, dissect this, or maybe we have multiple calls to really go deep on it. They kind of figure out, oh, this is how the CI team is thinking about this. This is how they're mapping these strengths and weaknesses to what the customer does. Boom, that's an awesome skill. And then the next time one of their teammates is in that kind of situation, they're like, hey, how'd you guys do it? Oh, yeah, we did this, 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 whatever. And then it kind of almost sped, spreads like virally. So I think like the magic for us has been like, let's not just, I think it's too easy to like sit at your desk or in a conference room and be like, oh, yeah, this battle card sounds awesome. Great. Like, yeah, we got the right differentiators but you have to apply it to the nuances of a deal and also use the deal to challenge how you think about the differentiators, you know, like it's, you can't just write it down and have it go. It's gotta be real. Being in those deals helps you almost conduct your own research. Is this actually land? Oh, hundred percent, man. That's, that's a huge part of why we do it. Like it's that, um, it helps us learn more too, not even just of like what's landing, but like what are our customers actually trying to achieve? Like if we get, we get onto a, one of these deal support calls, let's say it's a half an hour call. We'll spend, 20 minutes doing discovery with the sales team just to like learn about this. Do they think about this? Do they care about this? What's going on with this? Like it's all a learning process. But then that last 10 minutes is like magic. Cause we're like, okay, so these things you said about the customer, these things that we were going to say is differentiators, they don't matter at all. But this one matters a ton. And usually it's a minor thing, but for them it's major. And here's how you want to talk about it or why. Like, so it kind of, it kind of flips the equation, but allows them to be like super specific and pointed and relevant. Right, because like relevance is, is a really important word here. Super relevant to the context of what the customer's trying to do, and they take that skill and take it out to the rest of the sales team. I like that because you're building a foundation with the core content, yep. core differentiators. Mm -hmm. But then it's there's not every deal is the same. There's gonna be similar use cases. There's gonna be where you can kind of 
uh, lean on. This is how previous deals worked. This, this is how what we see as a trend on these use cases. Like you said, this is this differentiator. We know it's going to come up, lean into it. But I love the part of like the human element, being involved with this, showing the application of it, teaching them to fish, be having them almost through osmosis, being a part of this journey, taking it on themselves. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's a journey too, you know, and I think it is. I think it is dependent on like the stage that your company's in. Like if you're a earliest stage company, single product company, either creating a new market category or something where like the lines of competition, like everyone kind of looks similar. Like, okay, maybe it's not as important because the types of use cases you're all trying to solve are very similar. Right. But like as you grow and you hit like new markets, new product areas, new industries, whatever things get infinitely more complex and that's where you really need that nuance. So for us, like that's been the secret. Last thing I want to ask you about is from a, a broader perspective to, I'm sure 99% of the businesses, uh, folks and the businesses over in telecom right now, I'm are focusing on customer retention. How do you see compete and the initiative maybe that your team are planning on taking on or taking on, how do you see them fitting with customer retention as a business priority? Yeah, it, it's, you know, again, it depends on your business. Um, I think for us, you know, it's definitely something that we're doing more and more of uh, on our team. You know, it's, we've, we've historically spent more time just in pre-sales. Um, but post-sale is, I mean, there's always been the occasional like, well, we've got this really complex renewal thing coming up and we need some help, right? Um, I think it is important though. Like I think in, and it depends on so many things. It depends on how your success function works and how you staff your CSM teams and what kind of coverage they have, or what kind of data they aggregating. Are they just a renewals team who's crunching renewals? Are they actually doing things to help your customers drive adoption? Is it automated? Like there's, there's so many different flavors of it that you need to keep in mind in terms of what you do about having CI as part of that process. But like, Totally, man. You absolutely because the thing about the thing about retention is like those those deals that you lose that your competitor takes from you become their biggest win stories. Those are the ones that they're gonna tell. So you just gotta like I need to prevent my competitor from writing up new win stories about customers that swapped off of my company. It's a double blow too. It's from from your revenue to their light in their pocket. Exactly. And as a point, I mean, I know a clue. Those are the big win stories that you celebrate the most. Those are the ones that everyone knows across the business, regardless. Absolutely. All right. On that note, Dan, I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, uh, we've got karaoke tonight. Do you want to share what song you're singing? Uh, no, I'm going to leave that for, uh, that'll be a secret. <laughs> <laughs> All right.